That's great. And um, so far, last night, um, Ed uh, talked to us about our, uh, introduced our topic to us, com- comfort one another as we grow our listening, empathy, and compassion skills. And from last night, I just really appreciated how Ed brought out the, the, you know, uh, the, our, our text, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can ourselves comfort others in their troubles um, in, uh, so that we can uh, comfort them with the comfort that we have received from God. So he mentioned that we need to really be the conduits of God's grace and comfort to others. And it, it takes out this idea that, you know, it's our performance that matters. It's really our caring and our being there that matters so that we can do it for God. And today, uh, in, in the morning, uh, in lesson two, what do I need to know about helping others? It's just for myself, like, we don't need to be licensed counselors and therapists to help others. We see that really what we need is our, our, our willingness to be there for the other person, to be uh, radically present with them so that they can trust us with their struggles, with their feelings and emotions, with their, with their, uh, with their struggles in life. And again, that involves building relationships. Right? Because if we didn't want a relationship with people, we'll just be concerned with the truth and what they need to do. So it's easy to tell them, just do this and then leave. But with relationship, that is when we really need to listen to them and talk to them and build that lasting relationship with them. So Ed now is about to come up uh, with lesson three. The question is, how do we build that relationship? How do we invite them in? to a conversation so that we can really help them and uh, be there for them in relationship. So uh, I'm going to introduce Ed again for you know one or two sentences, but let's go to God in prayer first before we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this uh, weekend, and uh, we are grateful to you, Lord, for this congregation and for the people who are here today. Uh, open our minds and our hearts as we learn how to really comfort one another. Lord, we know that you have given us in your word these amazing one another commands because you care about relationships. Firstly, our relationship with you and how it trickles down to our relationship with others. And so you have given us this amazing admonition to comfort one another. Lord, this weekend we're learning the mechanics and the details of this. So Lord, please help us to really open our minds and in our hearts so that we can understand uh, how we can comfort one another in ways that uh, are productive and are effective and are uh, conducive to growing and relationships. Please be with us at this time as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ed here uh, is, um, as you know, he's a counselor and uh, he's retired. You guys know that, right? So I guess that's what emeritus uh, a professor emeritus means. He was a professor. He's doing this full time, but he retired, but he's going back and teaching again. Like he teaches counseling once a year, I believe, Ed. Every year he teaches counseling once a year at Harding School of Theology. He's retired, but he still does it. His passion is for helping people. And also equally important, his passion is helping others to learn how to help others. And that's what he's doing for us at this time. So Ed, Please. Thank you. So, 
Can you hear me okay? Good. We're on. One of the things that we know that in, as far as, as we were talking about trying to how we show compassion, how we uh, show that sense of caring, a lot of it comes through nonverbals. Eye contact means a lot. Um, a lot of how we communicate comes through uh, just these nonverbal things of things that, you know, if we're kind of pained uh, as we're intently listening, uh, as we're leaning in, these kind of things show our emotions. They're conveyed on our face. A very small percentage of our emotions are conveyed emotionally. We can say, I really hurt for you. But what really makes that a real message is what's confirmed by our eyes and and how we engage this person. Or are we kind of looking nervous? Are we looking down? Are we looking into their eyes, their hearts? When we develop eye contact in most cultures, that's an affirming thing. Now, be aware that in some cultures, direct eye contact is like challenge. And so if you're going to show respect, you look down. And so if somebody is in your presence and you're the helper and they're looking down, don't assume that that's not engagement with you. It may just be their kind respect of you. And so um, say, you know, when you're talking heart to heart with someone, what's comfortable with your eyes? And they may say, I look at the floor because I'm in the presence, I think, of God or in the presence of someone who's helping me. And so you just leave that alone. And and other times people in other cultures see that if you're looking directly at them, somehow you're you're getting into them too much. And so you might occasionally glance their way and then then talk with your hands and, and glance away. So, again, cultural sensitivity, it's important. So when you're talking with someone about something deep to your heart, how is that for you and, and what happens, uh, what needs to happen for you? Just be curious and ask if if something doesn't strike you as normal as you might have it. Don't assume that that's wrong. That may be exactly right for them. So look at those cultural differences. Again, if I'm in a body position where I'm sitting in a chair and and I've got my legs crossed and kind of look like this and I'm kind of leaning back, it kind of looks judgmental or disinterested or I'm just kind of trying to be out away as much as I can back here. And so oftentimes we sit kind of squarely in front of somebody and we kind of lean forward. And I do it naturally because sometimes I want to hear better <laughs> that I want to lean forward. But it, it shows engagement. And that's that kind of nonverbal thing that we don't have to say, I'm really here for you. The very fact that you're gazing to them, if that's cultural sensitive eye contact, and really intently listening, that conveys I care without you having to say it. You may say it, but it's really backed up by the nonverbals that you engage in. So attentive silence. Some people worry about if I'm helping someone and there's a moment or frequently moments of silence, we get nervous because we want to fill the airspace with, with talk. And yet, if we're going to really honor the fact that somebody's struggling and we're trying to enter that struggle, pausing to give them time to think and process what's going on, it gives them time to experience your presence and their thoughts and their feelings. It also, by the way, gives you a chance to kind of collect yourself and say, Ed, Ed. 
be quiet, just listen. Don't try to think of the next thing that you're going to say because that becomes mental noise. And so when there's attentive silence, really try to just pay attention to the person, not paying attention to yourself the next thing that you think you need to say. When you're silent, have you noticed the other person will pick it up and and speak eventually? And they are driving the bus. They are driving the topic. When you are simply silent, then they will break that silence and they will share what they need to be sharing with. Also, in that encouraging them as they open up, there's a sense of staying with the deeper emotions. I try to uh, teach my young counselors, don't change the topic. Don't jump in because you're going to interrupt the flow. And so when there's attentive silence, it encourages that, that staying with those deeper emotions. Do you know what I've been do- doing, noticing just in the tone of my voice? There's a sense of an emotional connection. Uh, when we do that, there are emotional clues given. And people respond to that softer voice or that tentative voice that says, "Mm, this is hard. And you just roll with that. That encourages it's okay to be here. It's okay to be in this place, in this topic, in these emotions. And oftentimes we mirror with words and emotions for emphasis. And you might even say, I really get the silence and that there are no words. And this is almost a sacred space. As you share the deepest parts of your heart that God knows and you're honoring me with, with sharing Like in the video last night, I don't know what to say, but I'm so glad you shared this with me. I'm here for you. That's how we communicate that kind of um, kind of emotion and that kind of connection. Um, I'm going to skip through a few of of these slides. They seem um, fairly uh, straightforward, so you can look at that uh, in the PowerPoint. Uh, that you can download. But one of the things that are opening skills is just saying, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? And I like to go mind and heart because I don't want to just know what they're thinking. I want to know what they're feeling, what they're experiencing and what this means. And so what would you like to have happen in your life? They're going to tell you what their goal is. If you say, I know you're hurting, what are you hoping will come for you? It's that kind of open invitation for them uh, to share. Um, You notice at the very beginning of our workshop, I said, what's going to happen here in our workshop this weekend for you that by Sunday you'll say, I'm so glad I came. And you told me a few things. That's a great opening for when you're trying to, you know, get a conversation started with someone who's hurting. What are you hoping that will come out of our time together? And 
encouragers are both those verbal encouragers and the nonverbal things that we say. One of the things that we, we have in our tool bag, if you will, questions are like, you know, screwdrivers or a little pry bar. They help us open up the lid of the can. And so our questions don't need to be so precise. Sometimes they can be kind of tentative and gentle. Gentle questions help people share more rather than precise questions. So what comes up for you? Uh, I'm curious what emotions are stirred in you at this moment. And so you don't pinpoint, I assume that, and you name an emotion. You simply ask an open-ended question that's gentle because questions do come from our frame of reference. If I'm hearing somebody's beginning nature of the problem, you know, that part of the circle, and then we jump to conclusions, what they need. If we resist that and instead, instead of that question that comes from our frame of reference, if we bring out specifics from the person, you know, I'm wondering what's been going on for you this week. Um, is a lot better than you've really had a stressful week. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and we're trying to kind of get ahead of them. It's a lot better if our questions are much slower. Um, but questions can help us bring out, you know, so what what did happen this week? Can you kind of walk me through your week? And they can tell you about the ups and the downs and, and what's been going on. Be careful with questions. Because you know what it's been like if somebody rapid fires a bunch of questions at you. That's not a good thing. It feels like a bombardment or grilling. Sometimes we ask multiple choice questions because we're worried. We want the people to, you know, to talk to us. And so is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Or is it this? And that's a lot of work. That's a lot of burden on us when we're trying to be a helper. If we think we've got to think of all the options. It's far better to ask, so how's all this been for you this week? Just a gentle invitation kind of question rather than how have you been? Have you been this? Have you been that? Have you been this? You know, what happened this? You know, in fact, when we ask a multiple choice question, the other person doesn't know what to even begin to respond to. Sometimes we make questions as statements, and so it's not really a genuine question. It's kind of more we're, we're, we're running on ahead of things. Be aware that cultural differences, that sometimes your questions may be very intrusive, and they're not ready to share with you yet what's going on for them. And so they don't want you up in their business. And realize that if you take a gentle approach, so I'm wondering... If you could share with me kind of what's going on for you right now, that's that's the struggle. They'll tell you at the level that they want to tell you rather than, so how's it going in your marriage these days? Or, you know, how are you doing with your money or that addiction or whatever you might pinpoint? They may not be ready to be as forthcoming with you as they may need to be and are question can be very oft-putting. So be be careful about cultural differences because some people do not want you up in their business till they're ready to trust you to be up in their business. Questions also, they're a control thing. Uh, the person who's asking questions is in charge. Think of that officer, that principal, that 
parent in your life, the person who's firing the questions at you is in control and you don't want to replicate the principal, the parent, the officer kind of thing. And then if I could help you remove one word of a question from your vocabulary and helping others X out the question of why. Doug, why did you do that? Miles, why did you do? You know, it it just kind of like, oops, uh, and it puts us on the defensive. I don't know. Or remember that third grade teacher or that principal that said, Johnny, why did you do that? I don't know. You know, and so it's a control dimension. It's a, a intellectualism. It's trying to find an excuse. And so why questions really don't serve us well. And most of the time people will say, I don't know. So get rid of why in your vocabulary. You can do the same thing by an open invitation. So tell me uh, about what's been going on. They're going to tell you the why and the what happened and all that kind of stuff by just that open uh, invitation. And so we don't want to get them defensive or rationalizing or treating us like an authority figure that they have to be accountable to. In some circles, you hear about an accountability partner. I'd much rather have a mentor than an accountability partner. And, and certainly in in care and helping others, there can be accountability. But you want to really try and stay off the why type of questions. Use attentive silence and encouragers. Can you tell me more about what that's about? That's a good replacement for why did that happen? Can you tell me more about what's going on for you? That's a much better opening. Be careful about leading questions. How many of you have had an evangelism training or uh, uh, a sales training where you're supposed to presume what the right answer will be? You want to go to heaven, don't you? That's a leading question. So tell me about kind of your spiritual journey. That's a much more answerable question. And we want to ask questions that are answerable, not that lead people. Um, the life insurance salesperson. Who's had a life insurance salesperson uh, in, encounter with you? You love your family, don't you? You want to care for your family, don't you? Heaven forbid something would happen to you. But if something did, would you want somebody there to provide for your family? Well, XYZ Insurance Company is going to do that for you. I mean, it's leading questions. And when we're in a helping role, um, don't subtly tell people what to do or give them advice or pushing your agenda. Those tend to stop communication. And we want to hang up the phone or get away from that person as quickly as we can. So we don't want to be in a helping role uh, doing that. So let's look at two types of questions. They're closed questions, but sometimes we do need to ask. We get specific information uh, with a closed question, but we don't usually get much free information. So we get the specific that we just asked about, but we rarely get, unless we use a lot of attentive silence, we don't get more than that. And so 
if we think of open questions as that way to invite people to elicit more uh, without being uh, coercive or being so specific, uh, when we do ask what questions they, you know, what happened typically, and it leads to a discussion of the facts of what's led up to this current situation. If we say, how did this come to be and how are you feeling that, you know, that tends to lead into that feelings or could you tell me more about this? It honors the person that they could say no. Most of the time people will say, yeah, I can tell you more. There's a lot more to this story. And so, again, it's that gentleness of questions. So look at these open and closed. Do you have any health problems? Yes. And somebody might tell you what they are, but that's a, a one word answer is all it's required. Can you tell me a little bit about your physical health, your physical journey? That's going to lead to stories and events and emotions, feelings about what's been going on in their life. Do you see the difference? Closed, you get some specifics and that can be helpful. But with an open question, you often get the specifics and a lot more. Are you married? Yes, no, kind of thing. Can you tell me about your relationships over the years? Can you tell me about your relationships over the past five years? I mean, you're going to learn a lot more about this single person and their journey than just, are you married? Or this married person, whatever their state of marriage is. Do you have a job? Yes. I work at XYZ Company. Okay. Now i got to think of another question. It's far better to say, so tell me about your work history. I leaned on my computer and it started changing. Can you tell me about your work history? Do you hear how... That opens things up. Well, I started my career at this, this, and people are going to give you the travel log of their career. How great is that? So of those jobs, what's been, what's been the best and what's been kind of the worst for you? And then they come to where they are now, and, and maybe that's currently where their struggle is. But you get a lot more free information with those open questions. Any questions about that? Do you see kind of the the magic of how engaging people gets easier if you ask these open questions? And you have to ask far fewer questions, which allows you to be more respectful and silent where you listen better. Okay. Every message that somebody starts sharing with you has uh, several levels of meaning. There are the facts of what happened, there may be the emotions of what happened, and then there's the depth of what this means to them in their life. And so a lot of times we think, if I just know all the facts, then I know what to do with them and what to tell them to do. But that's pretty sterile, and it kind of controls the situation. It's far better to get some basic knowledge of, so what's been going on? Tell me your story. And then in the process of that, you begin to hear their feelings. And then after a while, you begin to know them better. And you then say, so I really hear what's been going on in your life. And I'm wondering what that's telling you, what that means at this stage of where you are. And that's how you get people to go deeper 
Um, you know, a lot of times we think of like content, that's the story facts. Um, and if we just know all that, kind of like the teeter-totter, if we load it up with facts, we're going to know what to do. The better thing is to realize there's a balance. We want to know about the process. Well, how has this been for you over the past three, four years? We need to know as much about the process, which helps us know about emotions and feelings, rather than just the facts. Well, I lived here, or I did this, or, you know, all of these fact kind of issues. If we'll look at the content as kind of an X, Y deal, if you think back to any high school math or college math, there's the X axis and the Y axis, and the plot of points comes out there somewhere in the middle. So if we just stay focused on knowing the facts of the situation, but we don't know the process of what that means, then we don't really fully understand uh, the person. So let's go to an exercise. If I said, I'm so upset, my father died last night, I'm just devastated. Where are you going to go with that? You think about your own parents' death, perhaps? Or you fear, as an older person, your own death? And what's this going to be like for your kids? And you get the book of your life going? Far better to be looking at uh, reflecting feelings. And so we're going to look at this in a few minutes. We paraphrase. So, so Ed, I hear that you're just really devastated. And we're not parroting the word. Or we're not adding a moral tone, so you're devastated. Where's your faith? You know, it's kind of like we want to just calmly paraphrase and use maybe a key word that I said I'm devastated. But I don't know. It could be I've lost my best friend. could be just the opposite. My dad died before I got to say I love you. And maybe it's been a really stressful relationship all these years and you are just on the cusp of being able to be real and forgive your dad or your dad forgive you. And so he's devastated because that moment just got cut short this side of heaven. Or maybe he's devastated because dad was a silent business partner and he was bankrolling this business that the son was doing. And nobody else knew about this. Not even your mother, his wife, knew that dad was supporting this new business venture. And without that capital that dad would be continually giving him next month, the business is not going to have enough cash to survive. You don't know what devastated means. But it's a key word, and so we just say, so, Ed, I really hear that that you're devastated. Wow. Attentive silence. So could you tell me a little bit more about devastated? Notice I didn't even say your dad's death or your emotions or this or that. I just used the key word that the person said. And some of the things that you've said uh, in our workshop, I picked up on a key word or a key phrase and I fed that back to you. Even if I didn't understand because of hearing everything that you might have said, 
I wanted to honor what you said. And if we were in a helping relationship, what that would do for you is that you then get to drive the bus of discussion and share more about whatever that key word that I paraphrased back to you. So we reflect that feeling. We use a key word and look at the possible meanings for what it is this person said. I am so devastated. My father died last night. It may be it was also such a sudden death, like never had heart trouble or heart attack symptoms before and then just had the widow maker. And so it's just a shock that this vibrant, healthy dad who used to run, you know, four or five days a week is now no longer there. So some other guidelines. Watch out for what you might presume it means for the other person. Uh, try to hear it from their frame of reference and help them in finding understanding about their sense of meaning. And there's the explicit level. I just don't know what to do. I mean, dad kind of ran our family and I've never, you know, been to a funeral home to make arrangements. And that's the explicit level. But there then may be this implicit, implicit level of I don't know how to run my world without my dad. He was that fundamental in my life. Or I've been so hopeful that in my dad's journey, in my journey, we were finally getting to that point that we could really affirm each other and say, I'm I love you. Or I forgive you. So anyway, there are all kinds of meanings. And the best way we know to do that is by these open invitations. We reflect because when we reflect what somebody said and we're able to paraphrase it, shows you we're listening. It communicates empathy. And it's it's kind of a form of feedback. And I've done this uh, metaphorically a couple of times. You know, just kind of like if you're holding up a mirror When you reflect back to another person, you let them know what you're seeing and you validate what you're seeing by holding up that mirror metaphorically uh, to them. It also stimulates further exploration. When you say, you know, I've got that and you you say something that shows that you've got it, they then can go on to the next point. Have you ever been talking with somebody and you think they keep looping around and you keep avoiding it and you're just trying to, you know, try to get them to move on? The best thing you can do is simply reflect and paraphrase what they have just said to you. Ah, he or she has got it. And now they can move on to the next point. Try that next time with your spouse when, you know, I've heard this 50 times before if I've heard it once. Instead of, you know, just kind of waiting for the time to, you know, pass by, say, so, hon, I, I hear you, that you're saying or I hear and then kind of paraphrase it and then just pause and hope your spouse doesn't die of a heart attack, that you were actually listening and you're you're being patient with them. Um, so sometimes it's helpful to practice on a spouse or a friend. Um, and certainly when we. Reflect back to somebody. It it captures important aspects of what what's been said that otherwise might be missed. Sometimes you've been talking with somebody and they paraphrase. You can, wow, and you hear it differently. I've never thought about it that way. Or boy, I heard myself saying what I'm saying, and oh, so what's coming up for you is as you hear yourself kind of thinking about what you've said.
Again, what comes up for you is a really good way to be present with people because you're not going into what do you think, what do you feel, what's this mean to you. You're really giving them a very open, so what's coming up for you as we're talking? They may have a memory, they may have emotion, they may have meaning, they may have a number of things. But when you just give that open invitation, so what's going on inside for you? And um, by the way, it was a parrot last night in the Landon Saunders recording. Anybody catch that little tidbit mistake? Uh, I said parakeet. It was a parrot, Ricky the parrot, that rattled off its name and address. Parrots do that. Parakeets don't do that, Ed. So we want to make sure that we're um, that when we're paraphrasing, we're not parroting people. We want to listen carefully, give them kind of this condensed version back to them of what they've been saying. And it's non-judgmental. You can kind of hear what your third grade teacher would say, can't you? Isn't so, Ed, you're saying that and there's a moral tone to it. There's a. You know, you don't want to go there when you're helping people. It sounds like a teacher or a principal, vice principal, or a parent response. Don't go there. Um, And certainly what you paraphrase encourages them to share more about that. It also might discourage something else. And we'll talk about that in tomorrow morning's sermon. How do we encourage hope? How do we help ignite hope uh, in their hearts and their life? Mental noise. You've got middle noise. Uh, is Ed going to finish up on time? Uh, boy, lunch was so good. I just wish I'd had a little bit more of that rhubarb pie. Um, I'm not projecting anything, am I, by my illustration of what I'm bringing up. See, even my teaching, you know, says something about, oh, that blueberry dessert. Oh, was that good? And I only had half a piece, so I could have a half a piece of that apple pie. Do you hear? You know, I'm, I'm giving you free information. Um, but your own thoughts, your own stuff going on inside your head as somebody's talking becomes like mental noise. And it keeps us from being radically present and listening to the other point other person. So that's why it's so important. I keep coming back to closing the book of your life and your opinions and either sitting on it or putting it on the shelf. We don't need mental noise. And the worst mental noise is, oh, what am I going to say next? Oh, no, there's airspace. Oh, no, that's going to be terrible. Um, I've never. And so we start thinking of our next question or the next topic we're going to change things to because we don't know what to do with this one. And then we haven't really heard the other person. And so just be careful with mental noise and try to keep your own mental noise turned down really low. One thing we do in friendship is we take sides, typically, don't we? Somebody's wronged your friend and they've kind of wronged you and you're going to say, yeah, that was terrible what they did. Does that really help your friend get to a different place? What taking sides does is though we might feel it's a good friendship skill that we're there for you. I've got your back. I'll be watching out for you. I'll be listening for this. It's not helpful in a counseling kind of Situation, Because when we take the other person's side, then the focus becomes on that other person outside the room and how bad they are versus. So this boss that's really on your case, 
how are you coping with that? That's a lot better question and a lot better focus than, yeah, I had a boss too, and boy, was it a pain. I had to wait three years for him to finally retire. Uh, I hope you don't have to wait that long. And the focus is on that boss versus, so, Ed, what did you do in that three years before your boss retired? What, what did you do to cope? That's a lot better focus on the person who's in front of you in this moment to focus back on how are they coping with this situation. Because they are coping. They haven't gotten fired yet. Uh, so what are they doing to not get fired? Uh, is a much better productive place of, of working rather than, oh my, I, I'm fearful for where this goes. I know they don't have much in the bank account left and we get our mental noise going. So try to stay out of the judgmentalness or taking sides. You and I can only help the person in front of us. We can't help people that are outside the situation. We can just say, so what's your best attempt of how you're coping? What's your worst attempt of how you're coping? Which is working better for you? Those are questions people can answer and they are responsible and they're focused. And if we'll just stay in the moment, have any of you ever done improv at a party? Somebody says something and you've got to then respond. It's really fun uh, to do and it's amazing where the conversation goes. But if you treat a helping situation kind of like improv, the, the person in need gives you something and you simply reflect or paraphrase or reflect a feeling out of that, then they take the next step instead of they say something and now you've got to take it like at that party improv and you've got to make up something new. What we do in counseling is kind of like in that improv moment, we do a reflecting, a paraphrase or something of that nature, so that then the person we're helping has to make the next response. And they are driving the bus of the conversation. And that's very good. So paraphrasing tips, wait until you grasp what the person's saying. And maybe you're listening for a key word to help with the paraphrase. And you balance encouragers with a few. So can you tell me more? Wow, so what happened next? That's an encourager. And then you can paraphrase with, you know, what they have shared. Don't parrot like Ricky, the parrot. Uh, don't do something that has this moral tone, as we mentioned. And then, so I hear you really, Ed, wanting to honor somehow your dad's legacy. Tell me more about your relationship with your dad and, and how would you like to see that roll on? Those are those invitational kinds of things where you may have paraphrased something that was said about my father died last night, the person having shared with you. So if you get lost and your mind wanders or mental noise gets too loud and you actually didn't hear the last thing a person said, don't change the subject. Just humbly say, you know, I was thinking about something else as you said that and could you repeat that for me? People so appreciate your humility that you're not just, you know, Mr. or Mrs. mind recorder, everything you've heard, you pay perfect attention to. And so sometimes 
they'll say, yeah, I know I sometimes kind of go on. What I meant to say was, or what I want you to hear is, and they help you out. Very rarely will somebody ever scold you. Oh, you should have been listening to me as I was sharing that. If you're humble and say, you know, I kind of got lost in my own thought in reaction to what you're sharing, could you repeat that, please? It works in professional settings, and I guarantee you it will work in, in your outreach, caring, compassion uh, kind of thing. There's a video segment that we could watch. Would you like to take a break from listening to me? And let's watch uh, something. Let's, uh, let's take a, a break here, and let me go to a video which demonstrates some of what we are just talking about. It seems like a lot of my friends are kind of starting to get married. And Let's go to this one. I love these two ladies. So how are you doing? So listen to how they even begin. With different problems. Additional examples of reflecting feelings can be found in the segments which feature the non-judgmental listening cycle. Hi, it's good, good to, to see, see you again. Nice Thanks. to see you too. Thanks. So how are you doing? Um, sometimes I'm good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm not so good. Mm-hmm. Right now, I feel okay. I'm still feeling very sad. We talked last time about my grandma and mm-hmm. that she was diagnosed. And um, I'm really having some strong feelings about that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's um, it's affecting me in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and so I thought it would be good to come in here and talk with you about what's going on. Okay. Tell me more about what's what's going on this last week. Well, I called her mm-hmm. on Sunday. I usually call her on Sundays. That's my day to call her, mm-hmm. and she's usually just so excited to hear from me, and I am too because mm-hmm. I miss her. You know, they're in another this week typically when I call she you know just kind of catches me up on what's going on in her life or what she's done or what mm-hmm. she's doing this Sunday when I call she was really belligerent um, she was just talking about things that weren't true that I think that's just the, the dementia she has mm-hmm. she, she sees things sometimes and she hears things and they're not there and I remember initially when she was sharing these things with me, I was like, no, that's mm-hmm. not what is, Grandma. What are you talking about? Well, mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point of just accepting that, you know, this is what's going on as she ages. But mm-hmm. it's still very painful for me. So I just mm-hmm. sat on the phone when she was talking with me on Sunday and mm-hmm. I listened. Mm-hmm. And although I was doing that, it was breaking my heart. Right. And it's just really painful for me. So let me see if I hear you correctly. Um, your grandmother, you, a, a lot has happened where you, she's almost a different person, mm-hmm. and you're feeling confused, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Confused, uh-huh. sad, hurt. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest emotion is, is very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see how that must be very difficult for you um, to see the changes now. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what, what it was like with her before. She was so vibrant. Mm-hmm. She was she's full of so much life. And when she's feeling, mm-hmm. when she's not delirious, when mm-hmm. she's not hearing things, she's back to that old self where mm-hmm. she's really funny mm-hmm. and she'll pick at me and, you mm-hmm. know, 
and we'll have a good time. I'll sit and we'll watch TV together, and she'll tell me stories about when she was coming up or what she remembers from my childhood,、mm-hmm. and that will be great. And I, those are the days I crave、mm-hmm. right now because when I hear her voice or when I see her, it's this completely different person. She's、mm-hmm. lost a lot of weight,、mm-hmm. and she has no appetite, and and then I'm not there, and I miss her terribly.、Mm-hmm. Right. So you're feeling helpless in、Definitely. a sense because you're not able to be there for her. Definitely, yeah. I don't know what to do.、Mm-hmm. All I can do is call her, and that doesn't seem like it's enough.、Mm-hmm. It also sounds to me like you feel you miss the kind of relationship that you had with her previously. I do, and I can see how that would make you very sad.、Mm-hmm. Feeling like there's a lump in my throat right now.、Mm-hmm. I would give her an A plus in helper response. Notice the attentive silence. Notice the paraphrasing that she did. Notice the the pauses and how. The person that needed to talk about their grandma and their their sense of grief, how she just then gave more information. That is a plus, caring. Let's look at、uh, one or two more. Let's、um, let's go to another one. I really、uh, like. Where Dale is paraphrasing. Hi Eve. Paraphrasing. Hi Eve. Hi. How are you doing today? Okay. What would you like to talk about?、Um, well, I've been thinking about moving. Actually,、um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a big decision. I have a job here, and I'm getting my master's degree here.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any family here, and it seems like a lot of my friends are kind of starting to get married and move on. So.、Mm-hmm. Um, I've made other friends, but not as my true best friends don't live here anymore.、Mm-hmm. Um, I've been offered. I have a good friend that lives up north,、mm-hmm. and、um, he offered for me to come live with him.、Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends there, and my family would be closer.、Mm-hmm. And I'm、um, trying to make the decision, and if I should go or not.、Mm-hmm. Um, I would could transfer、mm-hmm. and go to a college up there, and I could get a job up there and、um, be closer to everybody. But it's just such a big decision. For me, yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that you've kind of thought things through, and you have lots of good reasons for wanting to make the move,、mm-hmm. but yet you're hesitant because you're concerned if it really is the right decision. Right, exactly.、Mm-hmm. And I have a great job; it's wonderful, but nothing's changing with that.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a teacher, so it's not like really I can advance right now, or you know.、Mm-hmm. Um, my master's program is going really well. I'm, I'm very successful in it,、um, but it's gonna. I only can go part time, so it seems like the end of the road down. Is it like graduation is like way down the road, you know?、Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a long time.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do do things with friends on the weekends and stuff, but it's kind of hard because、um, they are. Most of my friends have gotten married,、mm-hmm. and actually, I think I've gone to like three baby showers this last month. So、mm-hmm. my life isn't really where theirs is. It's、mm-hmm. kind of hard to keep interests the same.、Mm-hmm. So I I just think that、um, maybe if I move, then I would have、um, more common interests with my friends up north、mm-hmm. and with my family.
So you're uh, thinking that by moving, you might find some direction in your life. Definitely. I just feel like my life's at a standstill, and I'm 24, and I feel like it should be going somewhere, and it's not. Um, where where would you picture yourself as being if, if you could wave a magic wand and be right where you think you should be at this moment? What would that look like? Um, Do you hear the open-ended question? If you had a magic wand and you could be where you want to be, what would that? And it's such an open invitation for the client to respond. So this move or to not to move, that would be the question if we could borrow a line from Shakespeare. To move or not to move. And she's just getting such compassionate listening and good questions to help uh, Eve process what that's going to be like, what her possibilities are. Because she's the one who's going to have to live with the decision to move or not to move to be closer to family or to kind of stay safe and secure with a job she likes, but her friends are moving away. It's that kind of A-plus counseling that we see going on or this helping. Let's take a little bit step further. Well, I would love if on the weekends I could spend time with my family. I have um, a big family. I have five brothers, and they're all up north. Mm -hmm. And um, one just got married and has two, I have two little twin nieces. Yeah. My other brother's about to get married in August. Mm -hmm. So it'll be exciting um, to be, you know, to be able to visit him and his new wife. And, mm -hmm. and I know they're going to have a family and stuff. I just want to be closer. Yeah. So far. So it would be important for you to be physically near your family. Yeah. But where, where would you sort of see you at as far as what would you be doing in your life? What direction would your life have? Um, well, it would a little bit be the same as here, and I think that's the difficulty that I'm having. Um, I would be, I would hope to be teaching and little kids. That's what I do now, and I love it, and I love my job right now. So I would hope that I would be enjoying my job as well. Mm -hmm. um, continuing my education is very important to me, mm -hmm. and I would hope that I'd be doing that as well. Mm -hmm. um, lots of close, close friends. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hearing some similarities about what your life would be like in terms of work and school, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of wondering about uh, what the difference would be by moving in terms of making your life more fulfilled. Right. Um, that's a hard question. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, it's a really hard question. I guess just being, I would feel, I think I'd feel fulfilled just knowing that there are people around me that I could really count on and that were there for me. Mm -hmm. They like they're there for me, but they're so far away that they're not really um it's hard here, I kinda of feel alone. There's no one really here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's not like if I have a problem or yeah. or even if I don't have a problem, there's not really anybody just there for me and that's hard. So it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of lonely here that lots of your friends have left yeah. and, and that it's your turn maybe to make that decision, mm -hmm. but yet you're kind of scared yeah. about actually doing it. I am scared, very scared. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me more about that? Um. She says she reflected, so it sounds like it's kind of lonely for you. She was just taking what she'd been hearing and paraphrasing it back to her and then asking her another open-ended question. I'm just, um, when you asked me what my my future would look like and how it would be perceived as being wonderful, some of the things were similar, like my job mm -hmm. and um, school. Mm -hmm. And 
And if I have that right now, mm-hmm. it scares me to think that I'd go up there and I wouldn't have those things. You know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'd be giving those things up to to go somewhere where I think that I might get fulfilled because I'd have support and I'd have friends and family there. Mm-hmm. So, but, but you're concerned that what if I move up there, I will have the support I want and that I really uh, want to have, yeah. but yet I'm risking uh, losing the great job and the educational experience I'm having exactly. here. Exactly. Well, could you tell me a little bit about what it would mean to you if you did move up there and it was the wrong decision, whatever that is? Yeah. Um, I guess I would feel kind of maybe a little disappointed in myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would have felt like I've taken a long time to be to to think this through already. I mean, to this day, I've spent a lot of time weighing out my options, mm-hmm. and I would probably have doubted myself. Well, why didn't I take longer to think it through? Or, you know, I guess it would just I would, I would probably be hard on myself because I didn't make the right decision. So you'd be hard on yourself. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit more about what happens when you're hard on yourself? Um. Phrase. So it sounds like you're kind of hard on yourself. Can you tell me more about being hard on yourself? There again, it's kind of that improv with what the client has said, with the person needing help, what they've said, and then asking a question about what they've just said gets them to talk more about what the meaning of that is. Well, <laughs> it's just, it's hard for me to accept my limitations sometimes and um, I like to do good at everything and um, not everything but I like to when I'm going to do something I like to give it 100% mm-hmm. and it's scary for me to make a choice and think that I might be in a situation where I won't be giving it 100% where mm-hmm. I won't I'll have limitations like my job might not permit me to be able to do my best or um you know, school will be so difficult mm-hmm. or challenging mm-hmm. um, that I won't be able to be successful. That's mm-hmm. scary for me because I want to do that, and it's important to me. But and, and making a wrong decision is something that would mean what about you? It wouldn't. I mean, nothing bad could happen. I guess I would just probably doubt myself and think, oh, how could I have done this differently? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I approached this wrong. Mm-hmm. Or what was I thinking, you know? So so that's when you're saying that you, you become hard on yourself because yeah. you expect yourself to make good decisions or the right yeah. decisions. I expect myself to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eve. Well, today we've talked about uh, the importance of the decision to move and how it, it's important for you to live near friends and family um, to have, and how the decision could impact um, your direction in life mm-hmm. and also how important it is for you to make the right decision. I think these are all uh, issues that we can continue to talk about if you'd like. Yeah. Okay, well then why don't we continue that next week? Okay, thank you. Thank you. So notice how she summarizes and she doesn't give her an opinion about whether she should move or whether she should not move, whether she should take the risk. Notice she also said, so what if you moved up there and it was the wrong decision? How many of us would be afraid to ask that question? But you know that's on the young lady's mind. What if I I go and it turns out badly? We might as well, like Fred Rogers would say, whatever is difficult, let's go ahead and talk about it 
because then it becomes more manageable. So sometimes we ask questions that are the kind of obvious uh, fear that a person has so that they get to process that fear out loud rather than just holding that fear, that anxiety inside themselves. Are those helpful for you to see kind of some of our principles in action? There's one more I'd like to share before we run out of time, and that's uh, of two guys talking and the older gentleman uh, talking with the younger gentleman who's come from South America to Miami. And he now has encouraged his family to come to America and he's in kind of a quandary. Uh, he wants to be respectful of his father, but he's kind of unhappy with his father and kind of what's going on. Uh, is his father's not adjusting as well, uh, coming from South America to the United States. So let's take a look here at uh, what these two have to say. When we came from South America, they, uh, we got established in Miami. And I've been going to school here for like five, six years. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, I've been trying to get them to move up here with me. And uh, it's been a whole process, you know. It's been, it's been, it's been a good experience, but also it's been real interesting in the sense that they're having to live in my house again. So this is a kind of a new thing where having them back living together with them. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't been with them for what six years at least. You know, uh-huh. I'm going to school up here, so it's like uh, I want to be with them. You know, I want to be with them at times, but uh, I, you know, I, you know, I want to do my own thing. Also, um, I guess what really bothers me and annoys me is that I, you know, I've been having to see my father more than my mother, um, disappointed or maybe frustrated at the system, and in some way has um, brought up other issues that we've had in the past. Uh-huh. I'm talking about ten years ago. So sometimes you find yourself being angry with your father, uh, and maybe it's just something small, but it relates to things that have happened in the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I guess I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, I guess, I, yeah, it is anger. Anger. Um, I was, I was thinking more frustrated, but it, yeah, it gets me upset because I, I can, you know, I can see all the opportunities that we might have in this country. Yes, we've left, you know, all, all our family and, uh, you know, other, our, you know, parts of our culture, but, uh, it's the trade-off that you take, you know, that you, that you leave for, for staying, you know, for what we have here. Yeah. Um, It was hard. I mean, I know it was hard for him, but it was also hard for me, and I didn't have a choice. So what is it that's bothering you the most about the situation now? I guess that, um... Notice again, what's bothering you most about this situation? Rather than Mark, the counselor, assuming he knows what it is, he simply asks, so what's, what's bothering you most about this situation? Again, letting the person in need drive the bus rather than us trying to drive it for them. What bothers me the most right now is that to see that my father somehow is not too happy with the way the situation is now. And I, you know, it was one of my, it was my idea basically to tell him, hey, move out of Miami is too, too packed, too, yeah. too many people, too much traffic. So you feel a little responsible for... Yeah, a little responsible. But, not, but I know it's also the best thing for them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Closer to me, closer to my brother, and um, 
and, and your family is very important to you. Yeah, yeah, our family definitely. I mean, and especially us four. You know, even though we might have some some uncles and stuff that you know live down south as well, but we were never as close with them as maybe we were close to the family that we still left back in South America. So, well, does any of this feeling about your family being important come from your cultural background? I don't know too much about it. Yeah, being I'm Hispanic American, you know, it's I think it's yeah, it's one of the most important things in in our culture to make sure that our families tight, that our families are are doing all right, and we, you know, I'm a, you know I'm the oldest one in the family, my brother and I, mm-hmm. so I I want to make sure that my parents are going through this you know through this stage in their life, mm-hmm. you know, they're pretty close to sixty year you know sixty years old, so it's kind of like another stage for themselves. Right, yeah. right. As the oldest son, you you want to make sure that the family is together and everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to be happy also. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be happy too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself even like leaving for the weekend at times, you know, and uh, it's like, you know, I want to be, I want to go home and visit them and say hi to them, which is my house, but for myself, oh, I'm gonna be gone for the whole weekend. I'll see you guys Sunday night or Monday, or you know, obviously I'm, I'm 26 years old. I don't think I have to check in every time. You know, it's just but, but, but part somehow of you, I do it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. Just a part of you feels like uh, you you need to. Uh, you're you're in a balancing act. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, that would summarize it. Yeah, definitely dealing with school work. You notice that you're in a balancing act. He wants his parents and his dad to be happy and to succeed, but then he also wants to be happy. And so he finds himself leaving on the weekends out of his own house, leaving his parents, family, you know, the the parents there. And so notice, so you're trying to balance. And so, again, that's just a reflection of what Mark, the counselor, is hearing he feeds it back to him, and yeah, I, I want my dad to be happy, and and I want to be happy too. And so, anyway, just highlighting the struggle this young man's having. You know, family, you know, still trying to have your own personal social life is mm-hmm. a balancing act, <laughs> definitely. Well, if I could just sort of summarize what I've understood you've been saying so far is that. You're in a balancing act in a way. You're trying to make sure that everybody in your life and your family is happy and, and also at the same time make, try to have a life of your own. And sometimes that's a little difficult. But do you, it's really important, uh, your family is very important. Not just, I guess you grew up with this in your family background to think about your family and it comes out of your culture as well. But, but I also have the sense that it's important for you. It, it's your own belief that that family is very important. And so this is sort of at the core of what's sort of bothering you about the, the present situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's pretty much it, yeah. So even though you're in a new country and so on, there's still a lot of these things from that are important in your family that you want to hold on to. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So... One of the things I would give you a pass on, that was a fairly decent summary that the counselor did, but that was, you know, that that kind of is some brain power they're using. 
You can do something much more simply as you're bringing a time of talking to a close. And it's by asking a variation of this question. Ask the client to summarize. Ask the person you've been helping. So as we've been talking today, could you kind of summarize kind of what stands out for you? How much easier is that on you to give the summary assignment or the takeaway, the value, give that to the other person and you get to learn out of the time you've been talking and listening, you get to learn what was most important for them instead of you assuming what the most important thing or things were for them. So how we wind up our time is just as important as how we open up our time. So as we get close to our time here to close today, I would encourage you with that closing skill, don't feel a burden that you've got to summarize things so well to be so articulate, to be so encompassing of the time. Step back. Stand down from that kind of authority, responsibility, and just say, I really am glad you shared with me today. What do you take away from our time? So you get to affirm that the person shared, and maybe you say, you know, I really hear the burden, and I'm so glad that you shared your sadness or depression with me, you know, whatever it is. What do you take away from our time together? It's a good way for them to wrap up session. If it's a person of faith, you say, you know, would you like to pray or you want me to pray to kind of wind our time to an end today? And most often than not, they'll ask you. And yeah, or maybe you pray together. What a great thing. When I'm working with couples and their significant faith driven couples, I don't offer to pray. I would say, would would you like to pray together about this? And whether it's a female willing to pray with her husband in front of somebody else, or they'll only do that at home, or they never do that, or that they always do that. Notice how I'm not presuming that I need to be the great spiritual person bathing this in prayer for them. I would a lot rather, and I'm thinking of a particular client, the husband always prays. And it's amazing that he, being the man of God, even with the weaknesses and things he's done wrong, that he leads his wife as they come together before God. And so praying can be very appropriate as part of our closing. But don't just presume that. Ask. And then don't presume that you need to be the one to be over here praying over them. Would you like to pray together about this or would you like to close us in, you know, our thoughts and our hearts in prayer? Give it the option because maybe they really are feeling moved by God, by what's happened in this time of talking with you. Don't presume the, you know, the spiritual leader position. Give it the option. And I would a lot rather that husband beseech God and be heard in the presence of his wife than me somehow beseeching God in their behalf. Do you see the power? What would serve them better rather than what might serve my ego better?
Just a thought. Ponder that. Maybe in small group, talk about some of the things that, that we've uh, been talking about. Um, you've got access to the videos uh, so efficiently already put up online, even of last night uh, kind of thing. And so talk about this. Be this with one another in small group. Be this as you go to work in your neighborhood, do wherever you are, as you encounter people who need the hands of God with great mercy and compassion. I'm so honored by your attendance, your uh, engagement with us, uh, your kind comments uh, in between sessions or things that have been told that were texted about what we're doing here this weekend. This really is God's work. This is the hands of Jesus reaching out to people, and we get to be the shepherd's assistance. There's one book that I would recommend. There's a little bit of stuff you'll notice. Well, we didn't get to that in today's session. There's a book by Thomas uh, and Cockburn. Uh, it's a little paperback book. It's a pastoral care series book. Uh, Jay, if you don't remember, competency-based counseling. It's a book I use in Jay's counseling class, and he has a digital copy, so he can tell you how to download a digital copy and where to buy one uh, of that. Um, But it's a little paperback book, if you like paperback books, competency-based counseling. And we're helping draw out the competency within the person, not our competency to somehow guide and tell them. And so it's a really good model, whether you're uh, into ministry in more of a formal way of helping people or where you want to just kind of more informally build your coping skills beyond what we've talked about thus far in our weekend workshop. So competency-based counseling. Great little paperback. Give you some more ideas and some things that we're not able to get to uh, today. I am so honored by your hearts and what you hope to be doing uh, day in and day out as God's hands to the people that you encounter naturally in your world. Jay, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you very much, Ed. Uh, Just give Ed a round of applause. Thank you. So uh, that concludes our uh, day for Saturday. So tomorrow, Ed is going to bring it to the, to the conclusion of how do we actually help the person that we're helping move towards change and growth. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. That's what Ed's going to talk to us about tomorrow. So thank you all for being here. We're going to have a closing prayer soon, but we all know that uh, the Grow Weekends like this, they don't organize themselves. It's uh, It's a... Uh, an opportunity for the congregation to come together and serve and minister together. So um, I just want to say thank you to these individuals here. So I'm going to say what, what, what their main things are and their names, and then we'll give them a round of applause to really acknowledge them and thank them for their work. Um, for Kids Grow Too in Child Care, we want to thank Alana and Kyle Brown and also Kristen Hamed. And as you know, there's a lot of moving parts to the child, to, to the, to the kids program. And, uh, there's a lot of names that are on page five of the booklet 
you know, thanking them because many of them uh, did forego the lessons in favor of them helping with uh, the children's program. So we thank them again. And just so you know, there's uh, Alana, Kyle, and Kristen have this vision for the children's program that it's not going to be just another child-minding exercise. We're not just babysitting them, like putting them in a room and then there's somebody there, they do whatever they do. There's a program for them. The vision is that they will actually learn what we're learning, but at their level. That's their vision. So the kids, as it is, they were learning how to help and comfort each other in their own way. So they're doing what we're doing here, just so you guys know. So we thank Alana, Kyle, and Kristen for that, and the many others. <clears throat> for the fellowship lunch, amazing lunch. There's desserts, there's salads in there. We want to thank Miles and Alicia for that. Miles and Alicia. And there's also the commemorative mugs. You guys see them? Okay, uh, Alicia. So let's give her a round of applause for that. Thanks, Alicia. Um, there are also 20 plus people who helped out with the setup, with the serving, with the cleanup, and with the desserts. So a round of applause for all of you guys who helped there. For broadcasting and also these name tags, uh, Pat Long actually really did a great job um, like designing this, printing this, and putting this together. So, Pat, thank you. And uh, the event booklets um, and also countless other admin support and behind-the-scenes tasks that are were not completed would not make this weekend possible. Melanie Hobbs. Mel. Yes, so the refreshments. We, have, we had coffee, water, and many other things. Uh, Billy Long. Thank you, Billy. Um, registration. Um, we uh, Amazing registration desk. Charlotte Coulson, Billy Long, and Miles McMillan. Thank you all for that. Um, for the song leading, we want to thank our song leaders this weekend, Roly, Taiwo, Richard, Tim, and Bamidele. And the folks in the back there, the soundboard, Taiwo, Graham, Oshokinoya, and also for tomorrow, Scott Kowalson. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And last but not least, Ashokanoya Monofi and Ryan Harrison for ushering, for doing the usher work. Thank you. And uh, now if you look at the back of your books, uh, look forward to next year, uh, Grow 2024. Please mark on your calendars. Don't tell, don't, tell, don't tell us that we didn't tell you guys in advance. May 3 to 5, 2024 is uh, Grow 2024. We're going to talk about spiritual growth and maturity as we build on our foundations for this year, we are going to talk about growing in the grace of knowledge of Jesus. So uh, thank you once again. I know you, the, the day is ahead of us. There's a lot of stuff to do, a lot of fellowship to be done. Thank you once again for being here, and tomorrow, please be coming back. So now I call on Gary. Please come up and uh, close us in a word of prayer.
just quickly going to read the uh, focus verse uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from the New Living Translation. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we pray for your blessing on the ministry of Dr. Gray. We pray that you will continue to guide him as he seeks to serve your people and seeks to help people throughout the world. We pray for your, uh, that you will help us, that you will give us wisdom. Help us to be uh, quick to listen and slow to pe- speak as we seek to help people. We want to honor and glorify your name. and We ask you to watch over us at this time. Uh, keep us safe and bring us back tomorrow that we might be able to worship you. We pray all of this through Jesus' name. Amen. I think there's still some leftover stuff we can eat, by the way. There's more food, more fellowship.